In the early stages, they believe discovery is, okay, I asked two questions, now I should pitch. And that's part of the challenge is to say, what you think you're supposed to do is really not what we want you to do. And we have to get them to realize that actually selling today requires a high degree of intelligence and thought process and analytical skill and people skills. So deep discovery actually is very important and you can solve the problems of the world by being a salesperson. Hi, friends. Welcome to the WinRate Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Howard Dover. And Howard is one of my guests on this episode of the WinRate Podcast. Howard Dover is the director of the Center for Professional Sales at the University of Texas at Dallas. He's also the author of the book titled The Sales Innovation Paradox. My other guest today for this discussion about the vital role that academic institutions are playing in the development of future generations of professional salespeople, as well as teaching them about sales effectiveness and the importance of increasing the win rates, include Don Dieter Schmelz. Don is the director of the National Strategic Selling Institute at Kansas State University. And her program, along with Howard's at the University of Texas at Dallas, among the premier programs educating undergraduates about the sales profession. And also joining us are John Kratz. John was formerly a professor and the director of the sales program at the University of Minnesota Duluth. John is now co-founder and story consultant and coach at Story Seekers. So one listener note before we jump into today's discussion, this podcast is devoted to helping sellers differentiate how they sell by the experiences they deliver to their buyers. My latest book, Sell Without Selling Out, is the definitive guide for sellers to learn how to win deals by differentiating how they sell. Check it out on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. It's available in paperback, digital, and audio versions. Okay, if you're ready, let's jump into the discussion. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the WinRate Podcast. We've got a very special episode today because we've got people from a different background that are making a huge contribution to the sales profession. We've got uh, some educators that are educating our next generation of sellers. And while I'm certainly not opposed to liberal art majors, I was one. I paid for both of my kids to get one for what it was worth. You know, I also think a more vocational approach to college education, higher education is appropriate and something we need. And sales, certainly, in my opinion, is something that's been comparatively underserved at the academic level. I remember years ago presenting to the MBAs at Stanford MBA program. I was like untouchable, right? Yes. <laughs> oh my God, you're in sales. We don't deal with that. So anyway, really excited to welcome three leading educators in the field. And I'll just spend just a second introducing yourself and tell us about your program. So Don, we'll start with you. Okay. My name is Don Dieter, and I am a professor at Kansas State University and director of the National Strategic Selling Institute housed here at Kansas State. Excellent. And yeah, I got a story I tell from our first interview we did on my previous podcast, which we'll get to today, which I think is okay. Illustrate some of the problems we're confronting. Howard. Howard Dover with the University of Texas at Dallas. I'm a professor here and the director of the Center for Professional Sales at UTD, also the author of The Sales Innovation Paradox, and the founder of the Institute for Sales Knowledge and Innovation. Excellent. John Kratz. My name's John Kratz, and I'm an emeritus professor of marketing at the University of Minnesota Duluth back up. In 2019, I founded uh, the first sales major program in the state of Minnesota and uh, retired in uh, 2021, spent 18 years in corporate America 
as a salesperson and then uh, about 18 years in academia and uh, land of lakes right enjoyed both land of lakes better that's land of lakes but got to start somewhere right like i went into sales but i went into sales by necessity because i came into the job market the first quarter of 81 uh inflation was 10 percent unemployment was 10 percent and a 30-year fixed mortgage yeah. was 17 and a half percent there weren't any jobs and i was waitering at a high volume tourist restaurant just so happened to wait on the resource director at land of lakes there was a pad of butter sitting on the table and she asked me if i'd be interested in selling butter and i didn't have many options so i said yes but it was a great launch yeah. pad into consumer package marketing and uh, a lot of my friends oh, really well, i didn't know that butter i've known you all this time didn't know well well thanks just wait till you get my, your next email from me well so that sort of leads into a, a interesting question i want to get into is so why do your students want to get into sales I and mean, what can you tell me about their motivations this current crop of students what do they think they're getting into do you mind if i start don because you may have a completely different answer my students no. don't want to get into sales so they, they don't, if I actually find a student that wants to get into sales, I, I feel like I've found a lost child that I, I that somehow <laughs> it's like this little cute thing that I've now discovered as a freshman that you actually want to get into sales. And I think over the 15 years I've been doing this, I think, I think I can count on one hand, the number of students who showed up and came to my office and said, I came here because I want to be in sales and I looked you up. The rest of the kids that we bring into our program, we actually have to recruit into the field. Huh. But by the, so the, I guess, follow-up question for me is, Howard, is by the time they finish the program, they want to go into sales? Yes, yeah, so the vast majority of them, the attrition is baked into our system. So we have enough rigor that many students will take aspects of the class and then decide, no, I, I never want to enter this profession. Most of them, I'd say 80 to 90% that make it through the curriculum will say that not only do I want to be in sales, I think they're well equipped to be in sales. Yeah, and we're going to get to that. And Don, what about your experience? So I would say very similar. We are seeing more students come out of high school and come to Kansas State because of our sales program. So we're seeing an increase in that, but it's still a lot of heavy recruiting here at K-State to get students interested in the program a lot. We tend to find that if they know students in the program, that's very helpful. What does attract them is the opportunities in the career path and mm -hmm. our placement rate and the fact that our current graduates, recent graduates are doing really well. So, but we do still have to recruit, no doubt. John, what was your experience? My well, I, I guess it's uh, very similar to Howard and, and Don's experience. I, I, I like to say if you get a group of Gen Cs in a room and you come in and you say sales, they're looking for the exit sign. If I ask them how many of you are looking to go into sales, there may be one or two hands that go up out of 30 students, but that's because they have a pair who uh, obviously provided a nice lifestyle for them and they know what that could be. And so what I found was the best way to get students from not looking to looking was to bring in former students that had really accelerated and really had taken off and share their story. And I found they were the best salespeople in my major with my well, former my, my students. My follow-up question would be is, and I'll get to my story that I like to tell with Don from the previous podcast, is what do they perceive sales to be or selling to be? 
when they first come into the program. Go ahead, don't say. Yeah, Yeah. story I like. You told me about when you were first doing first role plays in your professional selling class or intro professional selling that all the sellers of the role play default to being super salesy, right? Sort of the stereotypical. Mm -hmm. And I always found that fascinating is that these kids with, for the most part, very, unless they had a parent, very little exposure to what selling actually is, professional selling actually is. And yet somehow in the the culture and and the ether, there's this idea that this is the way we act, right? This is the way it's supposed to be. And I certainly see if that's the case, that would, yeah, turn off people from wanting to go into the job. What are you seeing, Howard, in terms of what their expectations are when they first come in? Well, I, I think there's a perception that is built from the consumer side. So I've I've tried to call and cancel my phone and I got sold to, or I tried to go buy a car and I got sold to, or my mom and dad have expressed that they don't like the people who knock on my front door. And so a lot of the perception that they have is from their B2C experience or Mm -hmm. what they witnessed in B2C. And I think what they often don't know, and I, I would agree with Don that in the early stages, they believe discovery is, okay, I asked two questions, now I should pitch. And, and so we, that's part of the challenge is to say, what you think you're supposed to do is really not what we want you to do. And we have to get them to really realize that actually selling today really requires a high degree of intelligence and thought process and analytical skill and people skills. And so deep discovery actually is very important and you can solve the problems of the world by being a salesperson. So uh, that's what I love to, when I sit one-on-one, I'm sure Don and John have had the same experiences that when we recruit most of our best students into the program, it is usually a one-on-one contact in which we actually do a discovery Mm -hmm. with them where we say, tell me about what you're trying to accomplish. Tell me about what you want to do. Tell me about Tell me about your goals, your life, your plan. What is, I'm going to be an accounting major. Okay, why, are you, why do you want to be an accounting major? What? Well, because it's safe. Or I want to be a finance major. Why do you want to be that? Because I've heard you get, get a lot of money. And so you start asking them these questions, just like we would do discovery. Mm-hmm. And then you identify that there's some kind of vision and a root drive. And you say, well, then why aren't you looking at sales as a profession? Because you could do that and you would be great at sales. Now, there, there's some of those meetings I have that I, I come out and say, you know what? I don't know that I'm a good fit for what you're trying to accomplish. And mm-hmm. I think that shocks a lot of students. They're going, so you're not going to sell me on the program? And I said, no, because it doesn't you're in sales. Align. It doesn't align with what you said you want to accomplish. So a question I guess I have is, so you, you take students through your your curriculum, we talk about placement rates, as Don, you referred to it, Howard, you and I, in a previous conversation, you've talked about that, that you're creating people that fit the needs of the business community, especially in the, the markets that you serve. Sort of curious, and this leading to a different point is, what's sort of the biggest surprise for your graduates when they get into their first sales job? John, how about you? Well, the biggest surprise for, for some, and obviously not all students are necessarily money motivated. There's a lot of uh, benefits to the sales mm-hmm. profession beyond potentially making unlimited income. But I think 
I just I had a call from a, a former student graduated from our program two years ago. And he's in the trucking industry. He's working as an inside kind of sales development rep for a trucking firm. He's in essence scouting mm-hmm. loads, trying to right. mention mad, mad loads. And he told the story about moving into his neighborhood. He and his wife were building a house. And I know this year he's going to W2 over $400,000. And his neighbors are wondering uh, what, what he does because he's so young. And most of right. his neighbors are doctors and professional people. And so I think that's the biggest surprising thing is just kind of income that the right okay. person can make in their Don, what you? This is probably not really relevant, but I think some of them are surprised at how tired they are. <laughs> they never worked so hard. But uh, beyond that, they're, they are, I think they're surprised at how many opportunities that are opened up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and just... uh Really, I think it really starts when the that last round of interviews before you graduate starts kicking in and they're starting to see, gosh, I could do this, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's eye-opening for them. Yeah. Howard? I'm, I'm going to Cialdini Don a little bit because I think that Don's program, I joked at the beginning that I, I know her because I have to say congratulations to her way times in my life. 11, 11, 12 years in a row, I think, is what I heard before yeah, we started recording. No, the Howard wins won. plenty of stuff. we won, but most of the time we look up and say, congratulations, Don and Kelly. But in reality, I think one of the things that Don does, and, and we do as well, but I think when somebody comes out of someplace like Kansas State, where she's doing a lot of the same motions that they're going to do when they get in the field, and we do the same thing. They actually carry a quota. They actually, they, they go into the system. They're actually using the system. The best way to describe this, Andy, is there's this one kid that contacted me. And I'm going to say she was middle of the In her cohort, she was not the stunning one. She was right. the middle of the pack. In fact, to be honest with you, she, from an academic perspective, she was the lower end of the pack. From the performance perspective, she was in the middle of the pack. She got into her first role and her email communication to me on LinkedIn was, I can't believe this is real. And I said, okay, what do you mean? You're being quiet. I don't have, I don't have a lot of yeah. time. Why don't you what you want to say? And she goes, I look to my right. They don't know what to do. I look to my left. They don't know what to do. She goes, and I don't understand because there's so much opportunity here. I'm like opening huge pipeline and I'm creating. And she goes, and nobody's happy about it because of outperforming them all. And she goes, but this is, she goes, I'm going to be rich. And that isn't what it's all about, but it's one of these moments where you're like, I don't know, Don, how many times they shoot back to you and say, thank you for pushing me so hard. I had no yeah. idea how far ahead yeah. you would. I got a great email from a kid, same thing, middle of the pack that um, said, I just want to thank you for the sales program. I thought sales was, the people in sales were the scum of the earth. He actually right. used that language. And he said, then I took that class my sophomore year, loved it. He said, the sales program changed my life. He said, I'm now a sales manager. I'm moving into a new house. I'm getting married. And it's all because of the sales program. That's actually this kind of stuff that makes you cry, or at least it made me cry because I was like, yeah, oh my yeah, God, yeah. Yeah. you know, so well, impactful. Just want to follow up with what Howard said is, is so when your graduates get out into the field, is they feel like they have an advantage, yeah. right? Is they're prepared. I, I imagine it's maybe really pronounced if they end up in like a smaller 
almost any tech company, but a smaller tech company that has no formal training. And Mm -hmm. is your data showing that actually they have a leg up? They are performing at higher levels out of the gate than it's just thrown into it straight away? Oh, yeah. What are you finding hard? I'm sure Don has the same experiences. We calibrate the model off the feedback. So the, the kids go into the field and I tell them, you can't give me any feedback until one year in the role. And then I want all the feedback you can give me. Mm-hmm. And so what I'll often get is just this feedback around, um, thank you for doing this and this. By the way, you didn't do this and this. I know that would have been hard to do because I didn't want to take the class in the first place. But And so <laughs> I think what, um, yeah, the, the results from the field, I, there was this one time during COVID where this one student sent me a, a little picture of the internal sales force and it was her team. She was, she's two quarters in on a new job, right? So mm-hmm. average person on the team, five to 10 years of experience. She's got one year before with another company. It's just her second role with a different company, not experienced, right? Not experienced. And she showed the pipeline close for the previous quarter. She was 10 times to her peers. Yeah. And I, I immediately said, can I publish that? Cause I'm kind of a LinkedIn hog. And I said, can I put that? She goes, no, you'll get me fired. Please. Oh my gosh. Please delete that. Please delete that. And I said, well, can I at least interview you? And then I talked to three or four other people at her cohort and they were also performing. One of them was 800% at IBM. Another one was the top producer at Adobe. The other one was a top producer over at IBM. And they're, they're getting into these. And, and I know that Don has the same experience because we see her, her, our kids tell us that, hey, the K-State kids are here, the, the Houston kids are here. So there are certain programs that we, we, we know not only, I, I joke about the, the competitions that we go and we go head to head, but I, I think, Don, the bigger wins for me are usually when these kids go into the corporate setting and they're number one in a global enterprise company like an Adobe and they come out number one in the world. Right. That's when you know your curriculum is on point. And it, it, it's when you're, when you get those companies contacting you and saying, we feel like we're wasting your, our money in training your students because they already know most of what we're put them through in the curriculum. And, and these are companies that have academies, very long, very long cycles. That's what I like to hear is, the corporate training was redundant because my training is such a good foundation and a leapfrog for the students to be at the top of their training class. And then, of course, to hit the ground running once they hit productivity roles. And now a message from Closed. An often overlooked way to improve your win rate is to identify and close win back opportunities. After conducting tens of thousands of buyer interviews, Closed has found that 10% of closed loss deals have the potential to be won back at some point in the future. Now, identifying these win back opportunities early and knowing when and how to follow up could be worth millions. Closed recently helped one of their customers identify and win a $500,000 win back opportunity within days of it being marked as closed lost. Closed automatically reached out to perform a win loss interview when the deal was marked closed loss in the CRM. And the buyer said, well, actually, we're still interested and we're ready to sign the contract. Closed is finding win-back deals on a daily basis for their clients. How about for you? 
To help you get started receiving the value of consistent, direct, candid feedback from your buyers, Closed is offering all my listeners a free gift. Just go to winlosstoolkit.com and they'll send you a bunch of valuable tools to help you get your win-loss program started. The toolkit includes a comprehensive guide to running a successful win-loss program, an ROI calculator, and they'll even perform your first win-loss interview for free to help you see the value of getting feedback directly from your buyers. So to claim your gift, visit winlosstoolkit.com. That's winlosstoolkit.com. message from Alego. Are you struggling to make your sales team more efficient and improve time to productivity? With Alego's modern revenue enablement platform, marketing sales and enablement teams get on the same page for continuous improvement. So break through all the noise and deliver the buying experiences that your buyers today demand. Enable faster ramp times for your rep and more revenue for your business in less time. See how it all can work for you. Go to alego.com slash demo. That is alego.com slash demo. Well, the question I'd asked before about surprises was sort of motivated by just before we recorded this, I was recording another conversation with other guests and the topic came up about management coaching and that managers just don't have time to coach these days, right? And we hear, we see the data, we hear the stories that sellers are feeling like they're on their own, not getting the development opportunities they want from the managers. And is it sort of a culture shock for your students when they show up in a corporate environment and that's the situation? Anybody? uh, Well, I think where I see some struggling, obviously every student that comes out of a program, they don't necessarily go into a full cycle sales role. Maybe it's an inside role. They're, they're maybe not starting their career in strategic accounts or ma- managing a, a key relationship. But oftentimes where I see some of the struggling is when there's an over-focus on activity. And it, it kind of ties into some of your thinking, Andy, about, well, really at the end of the day, if I got a young man and I, or a young woman and I expect them to make so many calls a day and book so many meetings and have so many conversations, we look at those metrics. Where they're not getting the coaching is if, if they're not connecting and they're not getting meetings and certainly they're not building pipeline, yet they still got to hit this activity number. And that's necess- not necessarily increasing their competency or productivity. So I think I do see problems on that first line of the people that are yeah. coaching these yeah, that's people why I was asking the question. in Don, these roles. Nodding. What do you have well, to say? So we have a class, Salesforce Leadership, where we teach our students about coaching, how to be coached, and how to coach yourself, because we tell them that you may not have a good coach. Right. (laughs) And so we want them to be prepared for that. So So what do you you uh, teach them? What's that entail? So self-management. We teach them self-management, understanding how to set your goals and reach those goals. And it's all about accomplishments and working towards those goals. And it's a whole curriculum that I think they still may be surprised, but at least I feel like we give them something that if they're not being coached, they can think back, okay, well, this is what, these are the kind of things I need to think about in order to coach myself. And is part of that, sort of building on John's point, is part of that helping them learn how to have these conversations with their managers Mm -hmm. who might be overly focused on activity? Yeah, the types of questions to ask. Yeah. 
Yeah. Howard, what's your experience with this? Don, I just learned something, so we'll talk offline. But I think I would also say that at an institution like ours, kids have, if they're exhibiting good behaviors in the program, they usually have five to 10 options to go figure out where to go work. And so we really emphasize fit. Mm -hmm. We say, you need to go. It's not enough to get an offer from the recruiter. You need to actually say, I want to go visit with the frontline people I'd work with. I want to go, right. I want to go spend some time with that manager that you'll put me under. I want to understand the culture. I want to understand. And so I think a lot of that we nip in the bud a little early so that we, and companies that have bad management culture tend to not stay at UTD very long because our kids won't. Number one, our kids won't go there. Number two, our kids that will go there have a choice to leave and go somewhere else. I think right. the bigger challenge that I've run into, Andy, over time is, again, tell you how many times I've had an alumni that two, three years in the role, they're kicking it, they're doing great. And then they call me and say, uh, I think I need to leave my company. And inevitably, that is a manager change. Yep. Manager has come in and they, they had a great manager. They had a great culture. They had a great climate. They had a great team. And then all of a sudden, and, and it really relates to what John says, is that a manager comes in and is keep KPI-driven, activity-driven, not results-driven, and says, you're going to toe the line, you're going to do what I say, and you're going to do blank. And these kids literally go, so what do I do now? Because clearly I was working for a great company with a great leader, and now I'm working for someone that is just not capable of understanding the logic. I do, which means I can leave, but I don't want to leave. And so it, it, part of that is coaching them to say, okay, go back to HR, go back to your recruiting group, go back and say, hey, is there, can I move within the organization? Because my next step is to move out of the organization. Mm -hmm. Especially, usually they have exhausted the, the ability to go to their manager and say, hey, I I don't understand what you're asking me to do because here are my results. Here's my training. You're asking me to go counter to what I know is effective. And that's usually when I get the calls. They've already exhausted the conversation with that manager who is, I like to say, trained in a classic machine that doesn't exist anymore. Right. But they took the hill a certain way. Therefore, they're going to make everybody else take the hill the way they did it. And we tell I tell organizations all the time, if you're going to hire my kids, please prepare to be disrupted. Somebody told me that. I didn't come up with it. I wish I was that smart. <laughs> Somebody said, you've got to tell people that when they hire your kids, they need to let them almost be like free range chickens, right? Just let them range and break your org because they're going to do it and watch what they do. And I had one of the biggest organizations in the world. He hired three kids and he said, we really screwed up the first six weeks with your kids. He said, we just didn't know how to handle them. We were kind of breaking them. And he said, they, they and then all of a sudden we kind of took our hands off. And he said, there was this other kid from another university that didn't have the same training as your kids. And he said, I watched as they just stuck that other kid in. And then they just started swimming in a way that's so counter the way we do business. And they started producing things we've never seen before at levels we've never seen before. And he said, we have to change. We don't, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we have to hire more of you. But and, that's a, well, I was going to say, that's a challenge though, because 
<laughs> so many managers, so I see this all the time, is they operate from a position of fear. And it's like, oh, no, you're not coloring within the lines, right? And everybody's on these short tenures. And if you're coloring outside the lines, I don't know how to manage that. And so this creativity, this drive, this innovation, learning how to sell, as I said, selling on your own terms, sort of gets squelched, right? The initial in instinct of many managers, let's squelch that. And I think the point that Howard you're making and Don you're making as well is just so valuable for young sellers is your success as much as anything is going to be based on the situation you put yourself into. Can I ask Don a question? Because I think sure. you where you want. Don, what's the name of your institute again? National Strategic Selling Institute. So she, there's some words in there that actually have meaning. She said, I believe what a lot of us are doing is don't just come to my place and hire my kids. Come to our place and collaborate and learn how to move the profession forward. Yeah. If I don't have leadership showing up at my house mm -hmm. and I have recruiters showing up at my house, that that relationship is going to end pretty quick. If I have leadership, and I'm not talking about the SDR manager, I don't enable, I'm talking about the enablement, the CSO, the VP, the director, right. where, wherever it is, high enough level to impact change that comes in and says, oh, we got to get better as an organization. Can you help us get better? Then we have long-term relationships, but it's the companies that come to us and say, I just need 50 people in the next year and I need 50 people every year. Those people will probably come for a year and then disappear because the leadership won't come and learn. Because what you just said, Andy, is that is a leadership problem that's coming from the top yes. to say, uh, we don't have a management structure that allows us to be nimble and agile and move to market and learn. Right. Whereas, and that's what my students look for that. But the other day I, I walked in the class, first day of class, and I said, here's the status of the SaaS area. We went off a financial cliff. Go to market is questionable right now. I don't know if outbound will be alive in, in, in a year. I don't know, given chat GBT. I said, so when you sit down and talk to a company, as you're trying to figure out where you go, I'd be asking them those questions and then listen, not the recruiter. I'd be asking the leadership these questions. Mm -hmm. What are you doing about this? And then if you don't like the answers, that's not the company to get into because they'll be firing you soon because they don't have a strategy today and they're not hiring for tomorrow. They're hiring for today. So my Let students actually probe the leaders pretty aggressively. Hear from people all the time that they don't like my students because they ask hard questions. Oh yeah, well, curiosity is disruptive. Yeah. So, following up on what you made before, Howard, I'm curious. The three of you is, is yeah, you have the leadership come in. So, do you end up working with the leadership? You know, because we have, I think, a real culture problem. Certainly in tech sales, and that's not relegated purely to that, but change has to start at the top. A lot of these bad behaviors that we see that result in poor quota attainment across the board, poor win rates across the board, really that, that structure, that process really starts at the top. And that's where the change needs to happen as well as, so are you working with companies? Do they hire you, bring you in? How's that taking place? Don? With some of the early uh, adopters or partners for our program, and we were born in 2019, because we had built a relationship and 
this particular company had invested in kind of the uh, popular sales methodology soup du jour of the time, a little red book. <laughs> you, you just did, but yes, go ahead. <laughs> name the name of the book, but you can probably imagine the book. Yes. And they implemented this and it backfired. And what we ended up, myself, Mike Bosworth, we ended up from that, we kind of dealt, delved in the area of accelerating time, the solution expertise, but really looking at the problem of this idea that there's kind of this discovery resistance. And if you go into your questions prematurely without having first built connection or trust, you can have the best discovery questions from the most intelligent people in the company. It's going to backfire because no one wants to be diagnosed if there's not trust in a relationship. So we had to build on the front end the emotional connection side or piece, mm-hmm. if you will. Some call it EQ, emotional quotient, but it's really kind of consistent, Andy, with the post that you had up the other day where you kind of built this equation. Connection leads to interest and leads to trust and trust leads to the relationship. So it's really them not hitting uh, yeah. the importance of first trust, right? And, and, and listen and understand before speaking and, and, and a lot of product training actually kind of has hurt some of our students. Product training that my students have gone through has hurt them because it's, and typically it's marketing that's doing this product training, but they're not really teaching the solution expertise. They're teaching the product. And so what is the tendency is the students, my students, that they're talking about the product prematurely without really understanding what's so the problem or raise a question for me. And I wanted to ask you three, this is, yeah, I sort of described, we got these problems running, running rampant and B2B sales, low win rates, poor sales effectiveness, poor quota attainment. Arguably I'd make the case we're probably less proficient at B2B selling today than we were 20 years ago. You're all professional educators. What if you had responsibility for running an enablement team or setting the agenda for how you're going to develop your sellers in a corporate environment. What's missing and what would you do differently given your background in training sellers and so on? Because arguably it's not working very well for most companies for a number of reasons, not to point the finger at anyone in particular, but I just sort of curious, you guys coming from an educator, professional educator, you work with students, you successfully are training, you know, young people that are going into the world and coming out with an advantage. If you had to do that inside an organization, what would that look like? What might you change? now, a word from Cognizant. Picture this, your revenue team armed with accurate B2B contact data that leaves missed opportunities and unreachable prospects in the past. Look no further than Cognizant, the B2B contact data provider that stands out with unwavering focus on data quality and coverage. Cognizant's U.S. data set alone offers two times more cell phone numbers than any other provider on the market. And it gets even better. Seven million human-verified cell phone numbers backed by a 98% accuracy rate, deliver precision like you've never seen before. And if international business growth is on the horizon, Cognizant offers the most complete GDPR-compliant data in Europe, making your expansion dreams more attainable than ever. Customers like Drift have already experienced the power of Cognizant. In just 30 days, they proved ROI and now book 70% of their outbound meetings using Cognizant's cell phone data. But don't take our word for it. Get a free data sample and test the quality for yourself. Head over to cognizant.com slash data sample to get your free data sample today. 
That's Cognizant.com slash data sample. I'll I'll come back to the previous question and then jump forward. So I I do have strategy meetings with my partner sets. So good relationships with our program means that I'm, I'm not just meeting with the recruiter around the recruiting strategy. I'm also meeting with the leadership a couple times a year. Over the last five years, we've held two leadership summits a year. I think we're going to go to one leadership summit a year moving forward. And a lot of what happens is I, I identify that one particular partner is really good at something. And then I'm talking to another partner and realize that, oh, that partner is actually behind where the other partner is. They're in a non-competitive set. So this concept of cross-pollination is, is something mm-hmm. that we facilitate pretty consistently. And, and then our job, at least my view is, is if I can, how do I alter the curriculum, if at all? Is there something there that I need to adapt to, given what I'm hearing in the marketplace? And most of the time, we're leading, we're following our partners moving into a space, but occasionally we've leapfrogged the partners right. in what we're deploying. And in those rare cases, we actually are asked them to come in and evaluate the existing training models to say, hey, we think you may have leapfrogged us. Can you come in and analyze our whole process here? But I think most of it is really co-development, co-creation, cross-pollination, getting together with the leaders of our key partners a couple of times a year, getting into a room and discussing what their issues are so that I guess I would say if I had the job, I would probably spend a lot of time with people like Lanisa Bannister over at Lennox because I think she's doing a lot of great things right. I'd spend some time with Alex Jones over at Ring Central because I think he's doing a lot of things right. I think I'd go visit people who are doing a lot of things right. Then I'd bring it back to my house and say, I can't do everything the other people did because it's not my culture, it's not my product, but I can do some similar things. And I think we try to foster that at UT Dallas and say, at the end of the day, our, our biggest challenge in sales is that we hire a survival. We, we create a survival of the fittest model. That's how we generate talent. It's not, even though the three of us are generating students that are changing the face of the way things are done. The vast majority of people in the field are coming from zero training, zero experience, and they survive. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem is they end up in management. So the managers that stay managers are the managers that survive. And it just keeps going. So we have a survival of the fittest culture, not necessarily an elite performance culture. Yeah, I well put. I, I agree. Don. So I've been thinking about this while Howard was talking, and I think it ties, so I don't know, but I don't think they can all be trained the same way. And this comes back to our kids. I was talking to a young lady this morning who was coming back from her internship, and she's now looking at other companies. And I said, well, did you enjoy your internship? And she said, well, honestly, I was bored. She said, everything they taught me, I already knew. It wasn't the same for the other kids, but I was just bored. And I don't, I think if you want to keep them engaged, there's got to be a way to recognize the differences 
and train accordingly. Even like what Howard said, where the his three kids adopted another kid and then they all took off, even mm-hmm. if there can be some mentoring or something. But there's because I go through this my advanced selling class, we have it's like Howard mentioned that we have real they have quota, they have um, goals they have to achieve. And I go through the same thing in there. They're not all at the same level, but right. somehow you got to ramp them all up. Yeah. And so th- those differences need to be recognized. It's not efficient. It's not as efficient as throwing them all in the same class, but I think it's more productive. Yeah, I think that's. I think that is one of the hard things yeah. that you see within companies is this ability mm-hmm. to not treat everybody as a cog in a machine, as somebody referred to earlier, but as individuals that have their own path. And then how do they get the attention they need from their manager or a mentor or whomever mm-hmm. to help them develop? Because I think so I made the point before is kids leave managers, not jobs for the most part, yeah. I believe. Gallup sort of substantiated that in their research is, yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's, do you guys, I'm just sort of curious, do you have like extension programs where companies can sell or send, excuse me, frontline managers, for instance, this is real shortage of effective frontline manager training. Is it something that's available that night programs and so on with your programs? We're working on something right now. We'll have a pilot next spring. Oh, excellent. So look forward. All right. Howard, how about you? We have a pretty extensive executive education program, although very few companies in the sales sector will actually tap into that. We had a, a major company, a major telecom this last year that ran all their sales leadership through our coaching certification mm-hmm. program. And to me, that was a very innovative idea. Yeah. It was a sales enablement person that knew me from sales enablement, that, that space, and said, hey, I've heard you got a world-renowned coaching program over there at UTD, so we'd like to run all of our managers and get them certified as coaches. And so that, that was the first kind of foray. We, we have a lot of executive education programs. UTD is 50% of our 10,000 students are actually graduate students. Mm-hmm. So I say the answer is yes. We have a lot of programs. I don't know that we target sales organizations per se, because we're in a major metro market. People know UTD and they come here. And we have curriculum both in the graduate, the exec ed, and undergrad. So we serve all three levels. I'm fascinated. What was the coaching program? Tell us about some of the details on that. Well, it's, it's just a... It, it's coaching and certified coaching. So you're using a certified coaching curriculum, not a sales coaching curriculum. And so they went through the basics of fundamental coaching, how to coach somebody and how to be a paid coach is right. really the certification program. And this particular telecom was just smart enough to say, well, one of the ways to lift our performance is let's get every one of our leaders certified as a certified coach. I thought it was brilliant. I wish I I, I was smarter to realize we should have been selling that for the last decade. But once again, we're not comped. We're not comped on on revenue, right, John? Right, Don and John? There's a lack of of incentive for us to always run after the money. That's true. Well, it just, one of my things that I think that, change that should be made within most sales organizations is because you, again, you see the literature time and time again, and the writing is, hey, managers, they're so tasked and overburdened with tasks of reporting and blah, 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 that they don't have time to coach. And I'm thinking, well, then hire coaches. 
Right. right? Why does a manager have to be a coach? Hire a coach. How many, what sort of uplift do you need to have in revenue performance to justify hiring a coach? Not very much. Right. Yeah. I think the ROI on that program was substantive. I've had <laughs> documented. They said that early indicators, A B testing is just showing huge results, as we all would predict. Right. Yeah. I think that I remember seeing a report four or five years ago that been done in coaching is saying that, yeah, the single most important thing you can do to get uplift in sales performance is more effective coaching and mentoring of uh, the individual contributors. But A, it's not just the time. People have to know how to do it. And I look at, I'm a huge soccer fan. So as anybody that listens to my podcast knows, and I look at the way they structure the coaching staffs on professional soccer teams. They've got these you know, very specialized coaches down to the point of they hire coaches just for throw-ins, right? And it's like, why aren't we doing something similar in sales? Why are you presuming that just because somebody has a title, they, they know what they're doing when it comes to coaching? They don't. So let's, let's get people that make a career out of it, to Howard's point. People that are certified coaches, let's bring them in and work with our sellers to help improve their performance. Everybody's standing and clapping. Good. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... All right. Well, hey, I really enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate everybody joining me today. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Love the work that's, that you guys are doing to help elevate the profession, I think, is, is how we talked about before, which is, is something we're all in favor of and, and want to see. And so we read the statistics about, yeah, 75% of buyers don't want to talk to sellers. Yeah, they don't want 80. to talk. I thought it was 83 last time I saw. 100% of buyers don't want to talk to salespeople. But they don't want to talk to a certain type of salesperson, but they know they need to talk to salespeople in order to get their jobs done. And they want to talk to the sellers that can help them get their jobs done. And so, yeah, you're making a contribution to producing more of those. So thank you. And quickly before we go, if you just want to tell people how they can contact you, if they're interested, Don. Sure. You can send an email to ddeter, D-E-T-E-R at ksu.edu. Happy to Perfect. chat. Yep. All right. Howard. Howard Dover on LinkedIn. If you want to follow what UTD do, does, just follow hashtag UTD sales. We've, we're kind of socially noisy, so we tell you what we're doing. Not that the world wants to know, we still do it. <laughs> Whether you want to or not, we're going to tell you. Good. That's and right. John. Just enter John, J-O-H-N, Kratz, K-R-A-T-Z in the Perfect. LinkedIn. All right. Everybody, thank you so much and look forward to doing it. Yeah. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode of the WinRate Podcast. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And if you're enjoying this new podcast, well, still a relatively new podcast, could you leave me a quick rating or review for the show on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts? Because receiving this feedback, very important, and also it helps a podcast get discovered by more audience. So thank you in advance for that. And I want to thank my guests for today's episode, Don Dieter Schmelz, John Kratz, and Howard Dover for sharing their insights with us today. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, The Win Rate Podcast with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, thanks so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>